Whenever Mahler's name is mentioned, it's very likely that the conversation will steer towards his symphonies, whether they're loved or hated. Yet Mahler was also the composer of a large number of solo songs, and they are just as important in his output. Indeed, if Mahler had written nothing but songs, song cycles, and the song symphony Das Lied von der Erde, he would still be regarded as a towering figure. Indeed, for many Mahlerians, Das Lied von der Erde is simply the greatest thing he ever composed. Mahler's song cycles, Lieder eines fahrenden Gesellen, that's Songs of a Wayfarer, and Kinder Totenlieder, Songs of the Deaths of Children, are relatively well known. Slightly less so is the collection of songs known as the Lieder, which is not really a cycle. But what about the series of 14 songs, composed in the 1890s and at the beginning of the 20th century, known collectively as Des Knaben Wunderhorn, Youth's Magic Horn? These are based on a hugely influential collection of folk song texts with the same name that was published by two early Romantic pioneers, Achim von Arnim and Clemens Brentano, at the beginning of the 19th century. Mahler's settings of these texts are often referred to, especially because three of them appear as movements in the symphonies two and four. And two of them, Urlicht and Das Himmlische Leben, Primal Light and the Heavenly Life, appear hardly changed in those symphonies, apart from an enlarged orchestra. Yet these songs are rarely heard in concert in their own right. OK, so they're rather hard to programme. Mahler didn't suggest any order, and it's not obvious how you'd perform them as a sequence. Yet these songs are full of treasures. There's ravishing beauty, searing tragedy, but also comedy. There's a fabulous example of the latter in Lob des Hohen Verstands, in praise of lofty intellect or understanding. I think you could guess from that music that the subject is lightly comic, but what's it all about? Well, a bit of background first. Nowadays, we think of Mahler as a great composer who was also a famous conductor. But in the 1890s, for most music lovers in the German-speaking world, Mahler was a great conductor who also composed, and many of those would have added, unfortunately. Critics were always complaining about Mahler's strange hybrid symphonies, and they particularly censured his fondness for including vulgar popular styles. It all added up to a kind of bizarre eclecticism, and on top of this there were stinging allegations that Mahler lacked technical skills. Lob des Hohenverstands turns out to be Mahler's revenge. It tells of a singing contest, a sort of romantic pastoral X-factor, between the nightingale and the cuckoo. 
No contest, you might say. But the cuckoo has chosen the judge, and he's selected the donkey. Well, the donkey's got two great big ears, so who better to hear and assess? The nightingale sings. But as to his song, the donkey cries, Du machst mir's kraus! It's far too complicated for me. And we hear his own melodious cry in the voice and in Marla's beloved mocking piccolo clarinet. Then the cuckoo strikes up, and we hear his distinctive song on two clarinets. Time for the judgment, the donkey opines. The nightingale is quite good. But the cuckoo, what a fine tune. Firm tempo, too. It's a tune, above all, on the donkey's level. Marla makes sure we don't miss this, fusing the cuckoo and the donkey's tunes deliciously at the end. It all adds up to a joyous satire, a side of Mahler we don't often see in the symphonies, perhaps. Yet there's a quite specific reference to this song in Mahler's Fifth Symphony, right after that intense orchestral love song of the famous Adagietto. Then come distinct echoes of Lob des Hohenverstands. This invocation of Mahler's revenge on his critics is followed by a tremendous demonstration of Mahler's ability to write fugue and other contrapuntal forms. So the message to the critics is extended. You said I couldn't do this. And even in the symphony, it's punctuated by memories of the donkey. When you know the song, it all makes an extra level of sense. Critics, and indeed audiences, are targeted in another song with a wonderfully cumbersome title, Des Antonius von Padua Fischpredigt, the Sermon of St. Anthony of Padua to the Fishes. A much expanded version of this song without voice became the scherzo of the Second Symphony, The Resurrection. The song tells of how St. Anthony arrives at a coastal town to preach. The people wouldn't listen, so the saint turns to the sea and preaches to the fishes instead. The fishes listen attentively, but at the end they just go back to their former lives. The sermon hasn't made any difference. Perhaps here we get a sense of what Mahler felt about his own artistic mission. You may know the musical ideas of this song from the scherzo of the Second Symphony, but with words the motives and colours acquire so much more significance. The long, slithering violin and woodwind lines at the beginning are like the movements and slimy skins of the fish. Antonio 
Venus zur Prächtigelsche erfindlich, er geht zu den Flüssen und predigt den Fischen. Sie schlagen mit den Schwänzen, im Sonnenschein glänzen, im Sonnenschein, Sonnenschein glänzen, sie glänzen, sie glänzen, glänzen. No sermon ever pleased fishes so much, the singer tells us. Kein Predigt niemalen den Fischen so gefallen. The very sound of the German words invites mockery. And we hear a little scrap of a Lendler tune on clarinets. The Lendler is the country cousin of the sophisticated Viennese waltz, which suddenly turns shrill and sarcastic. Kein Predigt niemalen Fischen so fallen Little Lendler tune is a quote from Mahler's older friend and mentor from his student days, Anton Bruckner. It comes from Bruckner's Fourth Symphony. For Mahler, Bruckner was a pure soul, a man of intense, fundamentally simple Roman Catholic faith, like St. Anthony. But the Bruckner quote goes seriously awry, just like the sermon that misses. At the end of the song, the sermon is well received, but the fishes, as I said, remain just as they were. Mahler repeats the line, die Predigt hat gefallen, hat gefallen. The sermon has pleased, has pleased, like the fishes muttering approval as they depart. The orchestral writing slithers away, and the deep final bass note adds a last touch of negation. All of this is heightened, extended, and vividly underscored in the scherzo of the Second Symphony, yet the message remains fundamentally the same. Is there anybody out there with ears to hear? But there's also tragedy in Des Knaben Wunderhorn, and here, in a fascinating connection with that cycle Kinder Totenlieder, much of it is tragedy associated with children. Take the rather uncomfortable little song Das Irdische Leben, Earthly Life, which in the context of Des Knaben Wunderborn can be heard as a grim counterpoint to Das Himmlische Leben, Heavenly Life, the naive depiction of a child's view of heaven, which ended up as the finale of the Fourth Symphony. For Mahler, as for Beethoven, there are times when the opposite is also true. Das Irdische Leben tells a terrible story, all the more terrible for being told in simple folk verse form. It depicts a starving child crying out for bread. Just wait, the mother keeps replying. It'll be here tomorrow, but when the bread does arrive, it's too late. Mahler's setting is full of eerie rustling strings and spooky woodwind. And listen to the angular, tortuous vocal lines on the child's Gib mir Brot, sonst sterbe ich. Give me bread or I die. Mutter, Mutter, 
As a Jewish friend of mine once said, there's nothing more terrible for a Jewish boy than the thought that his mother won't give him bread. As you probably noticed in these songs, the gender and indeed age of the singer keeps changing. So it's very common in performances for different singers to take different roles here. But do you recognise those accompanying sounds, perhaps? They turn up again in the Purgatorio third movement of Mahler's Symphony No. 10. It was a work written at a time of immense crisis. Mahler's idolised Alma, the wife he adored, may have been on the point of leaving him for another. And it's fascinating to find Mahler turning back years later to that image of the starving child again. There's a possibly even more terrible image of a desperate child in Der Tambour Gesell, the drummer boy. This drummer boy has been arrested for desertion and sentenced to death. The boy's own drum leads us off in sombre terms. It's unmistakably a grim funeral march. Then the very simple opening words, Ich armer Tamburgsel, I, poor drummer boy. The word Ich is stretched over two rising notes so that it sounds close to Ach, the classic German romantic sigh. similarity to music in one of the symphonies, the fifth symphony's own opening funeral march, written about the same time as the song. Does that cross-reference between song and symphony throw light on possible meanings in the symphony, just as Lob des Hohenverstands did in the finale, or Das Irdische Leben on Symphony No. 10? But it's clear these songs aren't just here to illuminate the symphonies. They are different in tone 
and in the manner of address. The songs are much more intimate than the symphonies. The orchestra is smaller, for one thing, and generally the symphonies, even ones with vocal movements, tend to trust instrumental song, rhetoric and drama more than the voice or voices. Here, the voice is central, however rich the orchestral tapestry around it. And of course, there's the music of the German language. Like Schubert and Schumann before, Mahler found rich musical properties in the colours and rhythms of German. So often, the sound of the words is as much part of Mahler's expressive sound world as the orchestral colour. Take the exquisitely tender Wo die schönen Trompeten blasen, where the beautiful trumpets blow. A girl is awakened by the ghost of her lover. He's a soldier who's been killed in battle. He reassures her, don't weep. Soon we will be reunited on the green heath where the beautiful trumpets sound. If I read the opening sentence, it may not sound eminently musical. Wer ist denn draußen und wer klopfet an, der mich so leiser wecken kann? Who is that outside and who knocks? Who is it who wakes me so softly? Listen to the way Mahler lovingly repeats so leiser, so softly, to gentle, distant fanfares. The voice of the ghostly lover is in a different metre, that's three in a bar, to the girl's two. And here he bids her arise, steh auf und lass mich zu dir ein. German vowel sounds are actually very pure compared to English, that's one of the things that makes the language so singable. And those husky consonants are like the brush of something soft, a vocal equivalent of a light caress. This song is so intimate, so confidential, it's all so different in the way it speaks to us from the symphonies. Mahler famously described himself as thrice homeless, a bohemian in Austria, an Austrian in Germany, and a Jew everywhere. 
But his love for the German language and its poetry was abiding, and it emerges particularly in these settings of popular German poetry, echt volkisch. It's a terrible irony that Mahler was often later derided for his Jewishness, for being whatever the German nationalist equivalent is of not quite kosher. Yet when it came to setting the German language to releasing its music, Mahler was one of the greats. <laughs> 